to On Work, a monthly Substack podcast about how people turn the hours of the day into books, articles, films, music, and more. I am fascinated with how people work, their routines, their rituals, their kluges, their hectic, scrambling, dumpster fire days. I want to know how people make the time to make great things. This podcast is about that journey and the many ways folks embark on it. My guest this month is the internet's favorite dad, comedian Brittle Star, a.k.a. Stuart Reynolds. So now let's find out how Brittle Star works. Welcome to On Work. Thanks for joining me today. I want to launch right into it because we have a lot to cover in a short period of time. And I want to start with this. What is it you do for a living? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, no, the my... listener. <laughs> Please call in. <laughs> Please call in. That'd be terrible. A po- call-in podcast show would be terrible. My name, sorry, is uh, no Stuart, one ever calls. Stuart, Stuart Reynolds. And I'm better known online as Brittle Star. And uh, I make uh, internet content. That's, that's its most blunt and unattractive description. Well, because I, I was thinking about how to how to introduce you for this in the intro, and I was like, well, he does a bunch of different stuff. And if yeah. some, you know, I, I think when when I was growing up, for me, the the dream was have a job where um, it wasn't clear what you did, right. and that was a mark of distinction. You didn't, you weren't ordinary then. <laughs> People were like, oh, what does he do? He, uh, he just, I don't quite understand. It's hard to characterize. It defies characterization, and that was the dream. That's interesting because I mean, I'm I'm totally the opposite from that. Like my career goals and aspirations were always driven by the idea that if I could do something, that I could walk into a room and not have to explain who I was and what I did. That would be the goal. That's the dream for me. That is absolutely the dream for me. And I mean, I think I've matured enough now that I don't freak out or anything. It's like if people don't know who I am, I, I say things like I make internet content. And I'm like, I don't care what these people think. I've stopped caring. A number mm-hmm. of years ago, I stopped caring. Um, but certainly growing up and certainly in my teens and 20s, it was a nightmare when I'd go to these events with like, you know, with a, a girlfriend's family or something or, or a, a business event or a work event or a school event and i'd be like people be like what do you do and i'd be like oh god i uh i uh, create uh, record some music and uh i do uh jingles and uh and i i start to go this laundry list of things like trying to get their approval and mm-hmm. now it's it's better now it's better now i sort of when i can sort of say well i just you know someone usually in anywhere i go because my ego demands it uh, usually wherever I go, uh, people, there'd be at least one person who's like, oh, he does this. And it's like, great, good. Then I don't have to explain it. Awesome. Yeah. There's a good joking community where Troy says something like, I want to have a job that looks like I don't do anything. <laughs> you know, like, well, <laughs> that's, that's my job. Yeah. That is literally my job. Well, it, it uh, you produce stuff, but how, I, I'm curious how it comes about because I think for, for creative people, especially for those who who are outside of the particular creative industries, especially freelance ones, mm. they probably look on and say, "I just am, I, I don't understand how that person ends up with a paycheck. Where does the work come <laughs> from?" You know, but I get that question all the time. It's like, "Well, who do you work for?" And I said, "Well, I don't yeah. really work for anybody in particular. I'm a yeah. freelancer. I work for myself, and I contract with all these different places and so on and so forth." Mm-hmm. But I think from from the outside and even from from the inside in some cases it it's it's opaque it's like well how how do you end up yeah you know the face of 
Wendy's or, or whatever right. it may be. Right. Uh, or, 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 or perhaps one of the Eminem spokes people who, <laughs> now that, that Eminem is paused, <laughs> That's right. their spokes Eminem's. Yeah, it could be that as well. Maybe they could have just been thinking instead of like diversifying, what we need to do is just double down on the white middle-aged market. That there's not enough of those guys out there. That's really where I shine. Um, <laughs> but but how do you end up? you know, because you you do you you make your own stuff, so you, yeah. you're out there doing whatever you feel like doing. But you also end up being creating content for for brands. Do yeah. they ring you up, or do you sort of you, do you go and knock on their door? No, I, I've I've been really lucky in that I've never uh, like cold called to get get gigs i think it's a really it's really hard to maintain your value when when you're already on your back foot sort of pitching yourself to people now if you can pitch a something to a a company or a brand or someone and uh the value proposition is so evidently good for them then you're fine but it's Mm -hmm. it's hard to do like for for me hey listen i'd like to make one of my videos featuring me and uh we'll put your brand in there as well can you give me this much money um, like they don't necessarily need me specifically. Um, so it's harder to do it that way as opposed to having them come to me. And I've been really lucky in that they do come to me, but I think it's really going back to what you said about the opaqueness of it. I think, especially for someone who's working in media, uh, and specifically entertainment for me in my perspective, it's hard because people sort of assume that I'm rich. They just assume that I think because they don't know how I make money, they just think, wow, he's loaded either that or. I have a, another job and I just, I'm, I'm somehow managing to do another job plus crank out a whole bunch of content and be online all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me, but yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, people ask me like, how do you make money? And I, I, I appreciate those questions because I've asked those questions before. I remember having, uh, going to a pub in England with, uh, a guy named Stephen Duffy, who's a singer songwriter. He's worked with, uh, Robbie Williams and the Bare Naked Ladies and all that kind of stuff and highly successful and he had just produced Robbie Williams and co-wrote Robbie Williams' album which was selling that the week it was released everywhere except America and Canada was selling 11 copies per second um, oh my god it was crazy amounts of money that came in and I remember asking him in this pub like he's, he's a super cool guy like he's like a, he's a true artist and I'm just so gauche and I was like so you ever gonna have to work again? Are you done? And he went, he sort of shrugged and then maybe flipped his scarf, I think. And I was like, cool. Which is, awesome. which is a no, I guess. I <laughs> think that was the answer was, I don't need to do anything I don't want to do. If it's not art, I'm not doing it. Um, but he had the benefit of doing art plus being really rich. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, people ask me how I make money. And they assume that I make tons of money off YouTube. That's usually the first assumption is that just monetize. And it's like, no, the, the vast majority of our revenue comes from working with brands, as you mentioned. It's like we've done uh, work with Wendy's. We've done work with NBC Universal. And Disney was our first big contract, uh, which we did about five, five uh, campaigns with those guys. And that's kind of our bread and butter because that's the stuff where brands realize they're, they're buying you as a country content creator, you're, they're buying your audience and your audience is trust for that little bit. So that's where the money is for me. Is this why everybody watches the Mandalorian? Was that you? That's a, it's all down to me. I, uh, actually, uh, what's his name? Grogu. Is that his name? No, I don't know. I've never watched it. But, you know, Baby it, Yoda. Is everyone says to me that me. everyone says to me that the show is custom built for me because it's like a space Western. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't watched it yet. I, but they're all space westerns, though. All the Star Wars are space westerns. 
Yeah, I mean, that's true. You know what I mean? Like it's all the same idea. But this is like, a, isn't this meant to be like a grittier kind of tombstone-ish? I watched the first episode and I liked the robot that spun around and shot sort of fast draw, quick draw style. I like that. That was cool. And then I and then I lost interest until the last episode of the first season where Luke Skywalker came back. That was cool. Just but spoil that. <laughs> spoil <laughs> the Mandalorian. For <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's been years, man. Catch up. Okay, also, but don't tell me, don't tell me the how the kid Italian sees job dead ends. People. The kid <laughs> sees dead people as well in Sixth Sense, just in case you didn't know. Get a grip. Read a book. Uh, <laughs> read a book? <laughs> okay, so, so, the, so they come to you. So people are like, well, this guy, he's got a, uh, uh, he has an audience. They trust him. It's a big audience. They mm-hmm. engage with his stuff. I mean, I think part yeah. of it is, is – and I think part of that that point is particularly important for, for, for folks because for most people, you're – social media audience you know the it's your family your friends people kind of run into it because right. they have an interest in your in your community of interest mm-hmm. um but for you know certain people who who monetize it this audience is a pool of people who trust you uh, for whom you are a heuristic right you are mm-hmm. a guide for them god help us right <laughs> <laughs> could be worse though it could be a lot worse than me i mean seriously at least i know i'm an idiot i think that's the key um, how many people do you have in parlor <laughs> i don't i'm not on parlor so, uh, truth yeah. social uh not on truth either no but maybe someday we'll Leave see how money on the go. table money exactly exactly those communities are highly susceptible and it always goes back to community because i just think the jokes i i think that's the 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 smartest written show comedy i think there is um he's a level seven susceptible (laughs) (laughs) you know what you like the girl in marketing yeah (laughs) or a level five susceptible or whatever it is but it's just to me it's so good because obviously it seemed to be like they had to you know integrate subway into that show and later honda as a brand and they just sort of flipped it on their head which on the one hand is subversive and on the other hand not you know what i mean it's like well we're flipping it but also we're still doing it i really like that actually in community because it was uh the subway integration was so clever because it was like it was it didn't portray sort of it wasn't like kid gloves with subway it was like it, it was like it basked in the crassness of how that that was mushed together and i think that really kind of works great for and i certainly taken a leaf out of their book for doing any sort of brand stuff i would do it'd be like yeah let's just we're not fooling anybody we're trying to sell stuff you know so that's fine everyone's got to buy stuff and maybe you want to buy this um so yeah i'm i'm fine with that it's interesting you're saying about the social media for me like it's uh, like I, I, I extremely rarely do I log in as my personal account on something like Facebook or something. Yeah. Um, that's where all of my friends are, my former schoolmates are, people I've worked with, and family and relatives and stuff. And I have, I, like, I, I, I get physically stressed out and tensed up just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Compared to my approach to social media, which is very much, sort of very broadcasty in a sense it's kind of like i'm making this and i'm sending this out and i will engage and i like when people engage it's fine um but it's very much but it's still very based on that sort of weird quote-unquote parasocial style relationship where it's an intimate medium and people are holding me in their hand and as the video plays and uh not meaning like we're not watching it together and we're and they're holding me in their hands i mean that's a picture yeah, it's, it's a real a level one. of service that it, it really is coming from the user to me 
They're holding yeah. me in their hands, and I, we're just watching my videos together. It takes forever to get a viral video that way, though. Yeah, but but you know, and when there was only one set of footprints, that's when you carried them. That's <laughs> that's the next T-shirt we're gonna do. Um, but it's you know, it's it's there's that weird as- aspect of social media where it's there there is that kind of parasocial relationship. But there's a trust and there's an authentic- authenticity uh, to it that has to be there for people, and you brands like when they can they can kind of lean into that and that's why mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been really picky about the brands we work with uh for the most part apart from early on um where we didn't know how the whole thing worked uh, but i've been doing this for 10 years now as a full-time gig like it's it was 10 years as of last week so which is pretty and, fun and well congratulations that's well, a hell of a haul uh, thank you how do you feel about it do you feel like well you know i'm just connecting people to products i think they will like or is it, you know, these are just brands that I like and I want to share them with people? Mm. Or is it just, you know, make it rain? Or some combination <laughs> of like, what's the... Because I, I'm sort of torn about advertisements because mm. on the one hand, I'm leery of, of the industry. But sure. on the other hand, I, I, you know, call it false consciousness, but I like a good ad placed in a good place where I can find something I like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. You know, because, you know, because it's not like I'm pushing you know um asbestos cigarettes here yeah exactly stuff that i want to that i that i want to buy and i want to experience i want to watch i want to listen to right because you know everyone hates ads except for the ads that they like so yeah. uh, I, i'm curious about how you think about it from the perspective of, of someone who's creating that content because you say you're 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 picky you're not just yeah i'm picky in the brands that we work with um they have to kind of make sense to the audience. Uh, I don't want to kind of come out of left field with something that's people are like, well, why is he pushing this product or service or brand? Like this doesn't, doesn't ring true. To I'm me. happy with my current suppository. Exactly. Actually suppositories. I'm getting to that kind of demographic now. Maybe a different <laughs> one. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's about, it's about maintaining that trust with the user, the consumer, the viewer, um, where, it's like it's you know if your friend i once had a friend come up to me this is a true story i had a once friend say hey listen let's go for a coffee i had a coffee in a long time i was like yeah man i can't wait to see it'll be fantastic and we went to this coffee shop sat down and two sentences in he launched into an amway presentation and i was like go to hell man no not interested i'm super stoked to talk to you but i am not, this is a betrayal of the trust that you had um, so that I, I, you, I always, I'm, I think of that when I'm working with brands, it's like, is this going to come out? Is this going to show up in someone's feed? Are they going to pop to my profile and check it out? And it's going to be like, what the hell? Why is this? Why is he doing this? And why is it so disingenuous or whatever? I'd be much more likely if it was Amway or something, I'd be like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is an Amway commercial. And yeah, it's creepy as hell, but listen, they've got good deals on uh, window cleaner. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Is that, I don't know what they sell. Is that what they sell? I Are you responsible for bringing Zellers back? Was that you? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I got to say, you're, I sometimes go on to Spotify and listen to your Zellers song mm-hmm. or, or go on to YouTube and watch the video because right. I love the video. I love oh, the kind you. of John Hughesy yeah. 80s thank you. bit. And the song is genuinely very good. Thank you. And, and and there's something about it's part of you know what what made Flight of the Concord so brilliant was mm-hmm. that they were doing they were taking the piss and they were doing uh, parody but it was so good you're like some of these parodies are as good as the things that you're parodying yeah. <laughs> right and yeah which is very 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 good it's what made Flight of the Concord so good not just as a show but as a, as a band their albums are also very funny yeah and and I felt that way about the Zellers so I'm like damn this is really really good uh, but now we now but Zellers is coming back. 
Zellers is coming back, and I'm 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 excited and hopeful. You think they're gonna ring you up and like? I mean, wouldn't that be something if they did? Wouldn't that be something? I think you'd make a something? very good Zeddy. I don't know. I've always been, I have fears about uh, being a mascot. I think or it's, a lawman. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't he sheriff? <laughs> At some point, like it was I don't know if he was sheriff or not. I don't know if he was, was. Wasn't there a badge? I thought there was like a badge or something. I mean, he was self-deputized though, and that's the thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was okay. He was actually a, a what do you I call them? What do you call them? I don't, what do you call something like a, a, I, well, a, a, a crazy rogue, a renegade? I think uh, crazy is what it is. And vigilante. It, yeah, a vigilante. That's exactly what he was. Maybe perhaps so, like a pricing vigilante, um, but he realized it's you know those days are done. So. He doesn't. He can't compete. Well, I'm going to say it was anymore. you that brought Zillers back. Well, I mean, I'll take the credit if it goes well. Yeah. <laughs> well, Target was a huge success, so I think. <laughs> Wasn't that the worst? I mean, that was the impetus for that whole tune. It was this, lamenting this idea that we, you know, we had Zellers and it, the stores are kind of falling apart and they're badly retailed. And then Target arrived in Canada en masse, like a massive sort of landing of 130-some stores or whatever it was. And it was like, this is exciting. And then as the I sing in the song, it reminds you of like when I would go like down to Orlando or something, and it would be, you go into that huge Target that there, and it's like, it's so cool. It's like a super stocked, super clean Zellers. And uh, with except Isaac Mizrahi stuff, and it's cool. That's awesome. And then, uh, and then Target arrived in Canada, and it was just like within like a, a month, it was like, no, this is not working. The Target boutique is what we called it when I was living in in Vancouver. And uh, but it was also remember like sometimes it just doesn't for whatever reason work. Remember when the CFL expanded into Canada, and then same thing, mass expansion. And just... The NFL, not the CFL, because they are currently expanding into Canada. Oh no, sorry, sorry, sorry. The CFL expanded into the U.S. Did they? The CFL, they, let's, yeah, this is this is what happens. At your um, age. <laughs> it's my birthday, as, as you know. Yeah. We're recording on my birthday, and uh, I'm older, and it's catching up. Yeah, the CFL expanded into the U.S., and it was like a whole, well, the U.S. is going to be a big part of this, and yeah. it's going to be a great extension, and there's a huge football community there, and then just, it's like, just didn't take. It was in the wrong soil. It was just, you know, it's like trying to put yeah. a plant in the wrong soil. I think, the, yeah, I mean, that's a very, I've had like, interesting conversations about the Canada-America cultural weirdness that happens between the two one is that uh you know we're constantly told as at least i am as a content creator don't freak out american audiences with too many canadian references Mm -hmm. and you have to uh, i mean you'd know this as well you write for an american audience too um Mm -hmm. is uh you you you, that's where there's money and if you like paying your rent and eating food then you've got to be aware of the fact there's a huge market directly below us so we need Mm -hmm. to we need to we need to kind of cater that a little bit um but at the same time i think that because we've been doing that for so long even this the 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 littlest mention of canada makes some a lot lot of americans go oh no what's not good it's probably not good which is silly can you think about like pop culture these days you know it's nonsense i'm in the middle of of this right now i'm I'm working on a novel and and uh, you know i don't want i don't want to spoil anything but novels have to be set somewhere and it it doesn't have to be explicit where they're set, but yes. sometimes they yeah. aren't. Sometimes they are. And I'm, and when I first drafted it, it wasn't expressly set anywhere. Uh-huh. But now I'm thinking about it again. I'm like, well, I should set it somewhere. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to set it in Canada because so few 
books can really play elsewhere that are set in Canada. It's not universally true. Some do. And yeah. some books set in Canada are extremely good. I'm not saying they're not good. They're sure. excellent. But that's something that I think about. Yeah. And because of the nature of the book, it doesn't really lend itself to being set um, you know, where I might set it if I wasn't concerned about selling it. And and that's that's something you think about, like it or not. It's crass, but you you think about it in this business yeah. when you're just trying to make it a go of it. You know the what's it called? Um, uh, Emily St. John Mandel's book. Like, wh- the, what's wrong with me today? I can't think of anything. Um, uh, Station Eleven it was set in, in Toronto, right. Toronto-ish. Yeah, but then when they put it to TV, they moved it to Chicago because <laughs> that's better somehow. It's so weird to me. I mean, I get it in the sense of like. Uh, you know, when you're framing something for a video, um, you're looking at the frame before you start recording and you're like, okay, is there anything distracting in this frame? Is there anything weird happening in the background? Do I have, you know, like I used to be, I remember did it, the first time I really woke up to this idea of being concerned about what was in the frame was I, I occasionally get hives on my huge, huge forehead. And it's really just a, a result of, uh, of being exposed to the elements in such a vast area. Um, and, uh, I had uh, just the beginning of a hive happening in my forehead. And by the end of the last cut, there was like, it was more pronounced. That was it. That's all anyone focused on was the hive. Didn't matter how funny the content was. It mattered whatever it was. It was just, that was the hive was it. So I understand it's the same idea of like, I don't want to distract from the story from Mm -hmm. that. I don't want you to get distracted from the story, but I do think there are ways to include, you know, as a Canadian, like Canadian culture, incidentally, I don't want it to be the story. I just want this to happen somewhere. And that's fine. I mean, I think that it's, you know, the station 11 taking place in Toronto, um, unless they were like, you know, like it's just down uh, by Kensington Market or something. And that had to mean something to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's different from just saying, oh, they've got to go to, you know, Scarborough. Like, who cares? That doesn't matter. It could be anywhere. You don't need, if I don't need to know what Scarborough is to know it's not where they are currently, that's it. Yeah. You know, that idea. Uh, well, speaking about hives, I mean, how does, <laughs> what, what's the process for creating a video? I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, you get a gig, you got to create a video, you choose to create a video. Do you, do you storyboard these things? Do you write them ahead of time? Is, is any of it uh, extemporaneous? Is Does it, it seem all like off the wait. cuff to you? Is that what you're trying to tell me? It seems very slapdash and thrown together. Well, is it like curb your enthusiasm? <laughs> There's a general kind of like, you know, here's what, here's what you might want to say. Here's the scene. Go for it. Or well, what's because I because you know, or, or do you write like you would refine like a stand-up comedy bit kind of thing? Is it? Um, I mean, well, first of all, curb your enthusiasm. I once asked J.B. Smoove what he did for a living. That was fun. Um, he was very polite, and he said, uh, I do comedy. I was like, cool. Um, he was very nice. And then I had dinner with him right after that as well. Had you seen, had you not seen nope. the show? Never. Mm-hmm. Never seen it and didn't know who he was at all. He was just like really well dressed. But he was, he was, I mean, he was like, he was obviously, he's a, he's a big star. Um, but he was very kind about the whole thing. And, and, and his, his girlfriend is, is lovely. And she chatted with me more than he did. But nevertheless, it's all good. Uh, and he still follows me to this day, which is really funny. Um, like around town or? Yeah, it's just around town. I'm like, what do you, what do you actually do anything? 
Shouldn't you be on the set of whatever Larry is, know you're here? Whatever show it is that you're on that I haven't seen past the first season. He's so good. I, I, I I've know. seen him in a couple of things. And he's one of these guys that just pops up and something. And I'm just like, oh, he and he steals the show and the scene every time he pops up because he's just that good. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's crazy funny. And he was really funny in person, too. It was almost like he had to bite my to bite my tongue and be like, you know what? You'd be great at comedy. Um, so when you're when I'm writing, do I do uh, it's very it used to it started off doing being improv it'd be like here's a concept let's just play this through and do scene by scene here's something i would say in this scene here's something i would say in this scene and just kind of riff um but then i i really took about to like five years ago i really took to scripting uh, everything out and i did that because i found that i could make better word choices and i could there was certain ways of saying things that were just inherently funnier than Mm-hmm. What would just come off the top of my head, perhaps. Um, so like all of my monologue stuff, that's all scripted and pretty much down to the letter. Uh, any sort of scene stuff or sketch stuff is scripted out. And there might be ad libs here and there, but it's largely what's written on the paper. Um, and I don't storyboard. And I, I the reason I don't storyboard is because I have very little control over the environment in which I'm filming usually apart from if I'm filming green screen, obviously I have lots of control over that. Um, but if I'm filming outside or in, in part of a, like not in front of a green screen, it's like I, I have, I'm dealing with a lot of other variables. So I don't bother getting all wound up saying it has to be this shot. It's like, well, what's the best shot we can film right now in this location? Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I've been operating for the past at least five years. And, uh, I enjoy it. And I mean, it's kind of led to, I, I just, I just love writing out. If I can make myself laugh just by reading what I wrote, then it's like, okay, this, I think I can make this, this is going to be funny, at least to me anyway. There, there, that That's a good test. You know, you forget about this sometimes that you you go into the world, you create things, but you're also a consumer of those mm. things as well to some extent. And I remember, you know, writing something and coming back to it, you know, months later or even years later and thinking oh i wrote this it's pretty good <laughs> i'm doing that all the time shannon or, or or it's bad for that matter yeah. <laughs> oh shit this is terrible but like but see i i i i'm pretty nostalgic about the stuff that i create there's certainly some things i'm like uh not not great but i don't like i don't fret over it i don't stress over it but you know shannon my wife will often say you've met her shannon before mm-hmm. um she uh will often catch me like at my desk and, and I'll be laughing and she'll be like, are you just laughing at your own video? And I was like, yes, yes I am. It's making me laugh. It's funny. Um, but that's a big line to cross. When that's when I started doing comedy, uh, at least trying to do comedy, the big difference of realizing what was just happened and what happened to be funny to me might not be funny to everybody else. So you have to kind of go backwards and go, what's going to be funny to the most amount of people. Okay. Now how do I make that funny to me as well? Um, and that kind of hopefully carves out the personality of the bit. So, are you your audience, or do you do you, you know, when you're when you're creating something, are you thinking, I find this funny, so other people are going to find this funny, or is mm, it? Like- I think like, you know, for me, the monologue stuff I do, the direct to camera stuff I do, it's it's kind of for me, and it's a it's always in my head, it's always in the voice of someone else. Um, it's always in the voice of like, you know, uh, Douglas Adams or John Cleese Mm -hmm. or when he wasn't necessarily 
questionable. Um, still very funny. Or Eric Idle or something or, uh, you know, a character off of SCTV. It's it's very much like in those voices in my head. And it's how I can I can sort of that's who I'm selling it to. It's like, oh, if I if I can do something that's an homage to that and I can kind of create something that's my own and original. But in that style or that that direction or that delivery that I would like that. I would like that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's always been like the, like even when, I was, when I'm doing anything, but also like with music and stuff, I would, you know, if I'm making music or I'm making even currently, if I'm doing stuff like the, you know, Annoya Nazi, uh, Rankler Racist tune, that it's nice to be disliked. It's like, I wish there was a song that was about that. It's like, oh, because yeah, it's kind of Eric Idley. Yeah. Yeah. I like to do that. Let's just do that. And then I'll just make it. And, that, and, it, and so I, in a sense, I am my own audience, but I always try to keep in mind what I find funny specifically might not be what a lot of people find funny. So I have to go backwards, find stuff that's going to be funny to everybody and then tailor it down to what I think would be a good way to deliver that, that I would enjoy. Well, it seems to be working. I liked your Christmas song too. We, we played it and it was on the Christmas list. Oh, nice. It was another one of those things that just kind of just got into your head. I was like, well, this is part of my, part of my life now, like a cold sore. (laughs) It's just part of me. That's what I want. I think as an artist and I think as someone in a, in a in medium as vulnerable as you have to be in, as music, I think having someone compare what you've put into the world nervously and, and uh, you know, w- w- great hesitancy, having it being referred to as a cold sore um, is nice. Like a cold sore. <laughs> I'm just saying it has staying power. <laughs> That's whole- well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, so I, I, uh, we're rubbing up against time, and uh, if I can phrase that, the, the that was the, the creepiest worst way, way to say I were rubbing up against time. Is time cool with that? I'm gonna leave it. Yeah, I think. You should um, leave it. Sorry, Meg. Okay. <clears throat> in case we're gonna, I'm just in case we edit that, I'm gonna do it again. Well, we're running up against time, but I ask everybody this question on close. So say you could have a perfect work day. You're designing a perfect work day without constraints. This is your utopia with the exception of you have to work. Mm. What does it look like? What's your perfect work day look like? Perfect work day is probably getting up, doing my little walk exercise thing for about 30 minutes, having a cup of coffee. Oh, what, what's your, this is just like going for a walk? No, I treadmill. I, go, I treadmill. Mm. I have treadmill and I have the news on, on the television, but no sound. And then I listen to music while I'm doing that. And then my mind wanders as well. So there's mm-hmm. three things happening. That's nice. Um, and uh, then have a cup of coffee maybe down here in my little studio while I'm working on some music stuff, which I did yesterday. So yesterday was a good example of a, a nice work day. It was like getting out, doing that, and then coming down and then working on this new piece of music that I'm getting ready for a brand. And uh, it's like that's that's kind of where I wanted to be. And just do that and then ha- stopping for lunch and then coming back in the afternoon and working through some more ideas, maybe doing some editing, maybe some light filming, and then uh, and then posting and then basking in the glow of a well-received piece of content that's that's kind of my day that's kind of been my dream since i was a kid like i I actually about two years ago during the pandemic there was uh uh an interview on instagram like a live stream and it was uh, one of the guys from duran duran john taylor uh a band by the way and uh just in case i don't know the age of your audience not the city not the city duran duran yeah (laughs) and um Friends with Stephen Duffy, by the way. Actually, both these people are. Uh, they start because Stephen started Duran Duran with John Taylor. Um, so uh, 
there was this Instagram live stream with John Taylor and he was talking to Nick Rhodes, another fellow from Duran Duran, and they were doing it from their respective homes. John Taylor's in California. Nick Rhodes is in France or something. I don't know. And uh, they're talking away. And I, was, I said to Shannon, oh, man, I wish I could just like get up and just think about what I want to create and just kind of create it and make stuff and send it out into the world. And I was like, uh, I think that's what I do currently. So I have, I have very few complaints. I'm incredibly lucky. As I, in a more comedic sense, I've always wanted to do an SCTV thing where I've always wanted to be able to do quick, fast, low-budget sketches and from my house and send them out to the world. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, which is great. Well, that's fantastic. It's a very humble but very lovely kind of ideal work day. I think so. I mean, it's craziness. I always think it's like you want it's like 101 Dalmatians and the 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 dad in that family, he's like a, he just writes songs or something, he writes jingles or something and I was like, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Just floating around being cool and being artsy but also making money. That's pretty great. And then at night you go meet celebrities and they're wear what they do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you and and your cousin Ryan Reynolds is okay with this? <laughs> I think you'll find that Ryan and I aren't related. And if you want to confirm that with him, feel free. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll definitely be in touch. As you know, we uh, talk regularly all the time about all kinds of stuff. He's a, mostly two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Yeah, exactly. Mostly, like, mostly listen, about. I want to go over episode seven, where there was just one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, where was the other guy? The what, other guy? what was on the pizza? Yeah, what was on that pizza? Is it a normal pizza? How much was a pizza in that pizza place? Ryan is a frustratingly nice guy. He's like he's incredibly kind, and he does. He's given me more time than I merit. And I'm, you don't confuse him with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. If I want to ever talk to him again, like you'll never talk to him now ever. They're, they're both very very funny. I, I was. Just, um, this is bonus content. Let's just let this go an extra minute or two. Wow. But uh, I, I was just watching The Nice Guys the other day because I hadn't seen it since it had come out in theaters. Mm. And it is Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. And it's set in the 70s or a couple of 70s PIs. Oh, right. And it's just genuinely, brilliantly hilarious. Right, right. And But there's something I admire about, you know, actors who are fit, mm. good-looking, mm. can do dramatic roles, you know, because this is the same guy that was in Drive, for God's sake. Yeah. But then are funny, and and I think Ryan Reynolds is also he's got that range that he's, he's he can he is very funny. Yeah, I know he's very funny, and uh, I I think he's I mean he, I honestly no offense to Ryan Gosling, but I find him much more funny than Ryan Gosling. And I think I think even just seeing interviews with Ryan Gosling compared to talking to Ryan, it's like no Ryan's just funny. Like he's, yeah, he's a funny Ryan dude. Reynolds and Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is also very funny. Yeah, yeah. He's is he Kiwi? Is he New Zealand or is he he is isn't he? I thought it was Australian, but maybe that's maybe it's New Zealand. Oh, I should I oh, edit that part out. I feel bad. There goes there goes I'm ne- there there goes my connections with Russell Crowe. That's right, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, probably Ryan probably Gosling, Ryan Gosling too. just by being thrown into the mix. He didn't even ask for that. I watched Breaker High. I feel like I'm owed something. <laughs> Again, just I think you should just scoop another shovel and just get in there, get into that hole. Well, I. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I, I can't think of a better note on which to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was concerned because we were rubbing against time there for a bit. So, <laughs> I had to put the not safe for work 
tag on this one. That's okay. I don't think rubbing against time is a dirty thing to say. I think it was you misspoke, and I think that that's okay. And that's now created a new phrase that mm-hmm. I will be using constantly, mainly only in your presence. So, Well, I look forward to the next time we have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are going to really enjoy this. This was a very special 35 minutes and, and uh, I, because I was genuinely curious about, about the, the nature of your work and what you thought about it. So I'm particularly glad that you, that you joined us and now join the illustrious company of journalists, uh, senators, and uh, writers who have been on here before wow. you. This is, you've kind of run out of people. No, we peaked. <laughs> That's okay. We got five episodes. <laughs> four. <laughs> Shit. I thought we, I thought we'd go longer than four episodes, but you know what? That's enough. I mean, we've kind of done it all. I think that's the thing. Yeah, we're doing it British style. Exactly. You know, oh, this is really great. Let's cap it. Don't over. Yeah. Don't overplay it. No. You don't need twelve seasons. No. Nothing needs twelve seasons. Nothing needs twelve seasons. If it, nothing that brings that much joy should be allowed at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, that's that's that's. That's how I feel, especially as I push four years old. Well, you're only 39, so don't worry. You've got a long way to go. A long way to go. I hadn't even started what I'm doing until I was 43. So, I, One of the things I'm notorious for in this uh, show is is ending it and then going on for 10 minutes more. But, but I, I, I want to chase down one final point. No, and it's then cool. It it's, like a, it's your style. It's an appendix. It's good. I like it. We're just, yeah, this is bonus content that, that you have. Well, you can skip ahead, but you shouldn't. But... <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot recently because in a sense I'm, I'm, you know, in my second act in my career and mm. actually trying to head into a third. I was an academic for a long time, yeah. which is to say a student who then became a postdoc and did some academic work. And then I became full-time media. Yeah. It, but I want to write novels. Yeah. And I've wanted to write novels for a long time and I'm working towards that goal. And it's, in a sense, that's a third act, but I'm, you know, pushing 40 mm. and pushing it hard and... <laughs> I'm rubbing up against 40 and <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, you'd better get a goddamn move on, man. Yeah. And, and but occasionally I'll look up, you know, like authors who started late, you yeah. know, people like uh, Raymond Chandler started late. Yeah. Uh, PD James started quite late. Mm-hmm. You know, folks like that. Uh, Frank McCourt. Yeah. Didn't write Angela's Ashes until he, he was in, I think he was in his 50s or something. Me? 60s I just got a book deal this year, so I'm starting late. Yeah. But so, yeah, in, in a sense, you know, you're starting late on that. How do you feel about, about, you know, the sort of like second act, third act? Well, I mean, I would rather it all happened when I was 20 uh, in a sense that I, th- I feel I could get more enjoyment out of it. And I, I'm lear- I wish I knew what I know now when I was 20, which isn't yeah. very unique. Um, but I think that uh, I'm just happy that it's happening. I think it, it, and it's also, it's important to realize that I think because of where we were at technologically and societally, um, that you have a lot of options available to you. I mean, that's the thing like that. And I love the idea of writing like that's doing this book thing of mine. It's just a collection of essays. But still, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what kind of what I, I like doing this. I, I like this idea. I imagine my perfect work day in you know, 20 years just being like occasionally getting up and writing so many pages a day. And then that should be enough. Mm. That's the dream. That'd be great. So you, so the, there's a sense in which you're like, though, do you feel more animated or that there's a sort of fire lit under you because you're doing something like this later? Because I feel to me like. I'm either going to look at this and say, oh, I'm too old, I give up. Oh, or yeah. I'm going to say, oh, I got to make up for lost time and I'm going to hit, really hit. I mean, you know, P.D. James wrote a lot of novels. Yeah. 
Raymond Chandler wrote, you know, several novels and, and short stories. Yeah, he became iconic. That's not that's not my goal. My goal is to produce good stuff for the time I've got left. But I, I kind of feel like there's a bit of a fire burning. Well, for sure. I mean, there's. I'm I'm pretty fatalistic, I guess, in the sense that, like, you know, even from when I turned seventeen, I was like, okay. This is the last time I'm going to be 16 in my life ever. But not, you know, just like really aware of that that clock. But I will tell you, and I'll tell anyone that that gets stuck in that style of thinking of, am I too old for this now? Every single time I thought I'm too old to do something, I've looked back in five, ten, twenty years and thought, oh my god, I was an idiot. I was a stupid young idiot. Like, why did I think that? So I mean, there's. I think that it's. You have to realize that if you can do something, you can do something. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, anyone could expire at any time. So uh, don't worry about how old you are. Just just do what you can do. If you can do it, then you should do it. Now, that is a very good note on which to end. I like that a lot. If you can do it, just do it. Just do it would be a good slogan for something. I don't know if anyone's used that or not. Was that... Arby's? <laughs> it was, no. Theirs was rubbing against uh, something. Don't, don't say it. Please don't say it. Oh, God. It doesn't matter. It's already in my head. Well, we came so close to a nice clean ending, but you know what? You can't always get what you want. Oh, there's a great lyric. That's a good good song as well. We're, we're making magic here. It's a strange magic. Oh. That's something else. It's a kind of magic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like it. We should. We're quite the creative duo. We really are. We should just have a whole album full of songs called "Rubbing yeah. Against Various yeah. Things." We should do it like Lennon and uh, Trotsky, <laughs> John Lennon and Trotsky. Yeah, yeah. and Trotsky. <laughs> All right, let's better leave it there. And that brings us to time. Thanks again for joining me. That's Brittle Star, aka Stuart Reynolds comedian and the internet's favorite dad as always thanks for listening and we'll see you back here in a month